This podcast was recorded on Nukunoo land. Visitors to this podcast were on Ghana land. Always was, always will be. Hello everyone, welcome to SAPA Podcast, a podcast for leaders of education in South Australia, where we talk with experts in teaching and learning and effective leadership as we navigate our way through one of the most challenging and rewarding professions on the planet. That's right, welcome everyone, episode four for the SAPA Podcast, South Australian Primary Principals Association. My name's Adam Wilson, I am the, the lucky lucky to be host of this, this uh, podcast, I'm also the principal of um, Sterling North Primary School and today we're going back to the roots, we're going back to um, uh, our, our president and Angela Falkenberg who's going to join me for just some out there thinking, how are you Angela? Ah, oh, excellent, Adam, and good on you because you're doing this in your holiday. Oh, yeah, it is. Oh, so we'll, we'll timestamp it. What is it? It's the 19th of July. Um, I'm, I'm sporting a bit of a beard at the moment, and I'm in I'm in a, a bit of a, a a room where we're trying to <laughs> trying to do some maintenance. So you know how when all the maintenance occurs during the school holidays, that's what I'm doing at the moment. So if there's banging and crashing going on behind me, I promise you it's not me. It's the it's the building guys. Um, today we've got we're we're going to think outside the box. We've got a no budget podcast here where we're going to solve or attempt to solve some some big problems from teacher shortage, poor facilities, uh, the IESP process. We're just gonna just gonna nut out a few ideas and and there's no bad idea here, Angela. So um, what do you what do you think about solving um, the, the 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 problems of education in South Australia? Oh, I think it's a great opportunity for two very clever people such as ourselves. Oh, of course. To um, to let our um, what do they call it? Yellow box thinking. Yeah, go. yeah, yeah. Yes. Ye- yellow box. So we're going to start. You're you're going to kick off first, and then I'm going to have my ideas afterwards. Can, I, I, I will quickly say that, that our opinions are our opinions and don't represent hmm. the Sapper board. It's probably important that we say that. Yeah, um, but as you said, we're very important, very um, very clever people. So um, <laughs> teacher shortage. We have seen a teacher shortage not only in South Australia but across Australia, and I think it's gone further than Australia as well. Um, what would be something if you had no budget limit? You were the in charge of everything teacher shortage. What would you do, Angela, to solve that issue? Well, you know, I'm I'm not going to um, have a no budget limit because at the very heart of it, I'm, I'm kind of a German economic rationalist. Okay, okay. so okay. I, I thought um, interesting. It is a, a worldwide issue, and Jill Biden um, only yesterday spoke to a national congress of teachers in the US and said, you know, teaching is this amazing call to service and as such it's an act of hope. And I Mm. thought, isn't that a wonderful way to position the job? But the reality is there are elements of the job that are really, really unattractive. And a very wise friend once said to me, you can't polish a turd. Mm. You you can't tell people that it's an amazing, hopeful job when they're bogged down in in red tape, in risk assessments and so on, in your endless 24-7 parent, um, you know, parent communication. So, you know, my first thing is let's go back what actually is the job and who is, who should best be doing it. So, if I did have an unlimited bucket, bucket, it would be about resourcing the other bits of the job that aren't actually about our professional expertise. Mm. Um, you know, even yard duty, who can be doing that mm. that could um, give teachers time for more planning? I'm, I do think we need a dedicated position, particularly for country and hard to staff, who really knows these communities and can sell the job, not a job. 
Mm. But, you know, if you go into that community and connect to people's purpose, you know, current HR research is telling us that I will be happier in a job if what I'm good at and what what um, what I can do aligns with my moral purpose. Mm. So, you know, if I'm someone who really values the environment, where's a school that I might be connected to land care or trees for life? Or, you know, if I'm a passionate craftsperson, how do I know what the craft groups are that I could be invited to? So I think we need to better sell the jobs and the communities and not just a job in public education. So we want to um, connect the the teachers to the schools you say, you're suggesting, Angela. But to do well, that, we also need f- freedom for schools to be able to do things outside the box too, which is almost that that yeah, but I think goes this alongside is about, it. Like, there's working and living, oh, yeah. and it's the living component mm. that because I think principals can do a really good job of supporting teachers. But, you know, I, I want to do mountain bike riding. Who who can connect me with the person? And mm. I know, Adam, you do a really good induction process up in Port Augusta. Mm. But that um, shouldn't have to be your responsibility. Mm. What might be the role of Lions Clubs or local churches be or footy mm. clubs in bringing people in and supporting them um, and, and amplifying the very things that cause them to be passionate and actually to live a good life um, and then I'd say, pay you know, pay people's hex fees if it's an incentive. What's the accommodation like? What's the access to professional learning? And my final thought would be, and I was thinking about this as a principal going for a job, what will my line manager do for me? Mm. You know, I'd like to be able to have the conversation about why would I go there or there? You know, what what might the line manager be able to um, do the, in my development and in my comfort? We do have some Same. EDs listen to this, Angela, so it would be um, nice to have their their spin on that in terms of what yeah. do they offer principals that they line yes. manage as well, which would be good as well. Yeah, you know, what? You know, like everyone wants to know, we all, you know, we all will go somewhere if we think the boss is going to be good mm. and mm. we don't go somewhere if the word is um, that, you know, it's not a place that develops me in the way I want. You know, that's just in any job these days or people move because they're not getting from from their you know principal etc what they might um, might need so I think we just got to pay attention to you know the community stuff the physical stuff like how you know my accommodation um, you like even I'm looking at you Adam in your office surrounded by cartons and trays of iPads mm. um, and that's only temporary but if that was my everyday workplace I'd probably you know, not feel valued and think about moving. Yeah, 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 completely. In terms of the the accommodation thing, the the country education reform that occurred, I, I I had some people come out to visit Port Augusta, and it was it was the I said, come on, let let's go have a look at some of the accommodation that some of our teachers live in, and we went for a drive, and it was it was the perfect scenario. A tumbleweed rolled across the the, the road. It was like a, a normal stinking hot Port Augusta day, and it was a, a nice northerly as well. And I went, oh, this is a teacher's house, and it it wasn't wasn't a great looking place, and there was no grass or anything like that. And they went, oh, teachers live there. I went. Mm. Yeah. So anyway, there, I know that there's a housing shortage across the across the state, um, and that that in itself is another podcast. I'm gonna I'm gonna jump on a few things you said. Then you mentioned not to polish a turd. Well, I've got some glitter that we can roll this turd in. Okay, to really really spice it up. So, um, yeah, I I I agree with the with the accommodation, professional learning, and all, all those sorts of things that go along with it. 
I also think that I also agree with the fact we need to take away some of the responsibilities that have been added on to teachers' workload mm. that add more time. We either take them away or we provide them with more time to do so. So I've, we've always spoken about primary parity. Well, I think in primary schools we get 250 minutes of knit. I think high schools get something around 1,000 minutes of knit. No, I'm, I'm exaggerating. Um, but but they, they, they get a lot of non-contact time, a lot more non, non-contact time. So where is that that time for, for one plans to contact parents? Because in primary schools we are the main form of communication to families and families are generally more... Um, involved in their child's education as well. More adequate time for planning, for formative assessment tasks. Um, and, and the other one which I really like is collaboration time. So time for teachers to get together, um, to, to talk about talk about issues that's going in the classroom, to troubleshoot problems. And with teams now, even if you've got a small site, that could happen across sites too. Just that weekly catch up with others in like year levels. Because all of those things are what teachers do outside of what we classify work time and so if we take away some of that outside of work time then it creates a greater work-life balance so for me more time for teachers to do those things so that when they're doing the face-to-face teaching they're not as exhausted and they're better prepared and ready to hit the ground running obviously pay incentives are always nice especially at the moment with inflation going up and I, and I want to quickly mention the reducing of the crowded curriculum where teachers feel compelled to teach every single thing that's in the, in the curriculum, tick off every box. And my last little um, bit of glitter that we want to add to this turd will be we want to measure teacher success on things other than NAPLAN. We do way more than just reading and numeracy in schools um, that, that is a component. It is very important, but let's not hold our teachers so accountable to those small measures when um, so much more is coming on. I can guarantee you that year three teachers, and I, th- I think year three is a really, really hard year because it's the transition from junior primary to primary. Year three teachers go really, really hard above and beyond what's required just to make their kids feel un- feel comfortable and to give them that independence. And then we throw... Um, the 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 rigor of NAPLAN on top of that is it, it it's hard work. I'm not saying get rid of NAPLAN. I'm just saying don't classify teachers' performance on that. What do you think of my glitter, Angela? Oh, look, I think um, you know the crowded curriculum one is really interesting, and absolutely, I agree. You know, on not having narrow me- measures be you know the the big thing. I remember when the Australian curriculum came out, there was some metric that was, you know, 80% of the day should be on the curriculum, which left 20% of time for Mm. the kind of, Mm. you know, assemblies and the connection and the fun. And I I just think, you know, we don't really understand how incredibly important context is. And I was thinking about, you know, a school that might have, you know, whether it was bushfires or whether it's, you know, a bullying issue. You've got to devote time to the issues that emerge. Mm, mm. And that means you can't get through everything. So let's be kind to ourselves. But principals need to give people permission also to focus on what's important in that community. And I do think, you know, when we talk about engagement, if we said to parents, what are the metrics that you want this school to be judged on? Mm. Um, And I don't know. I just think that would vary around the place. And for some it's, you you know, 
Most parents say, I want my child to be safe and happy. Correct. Yeah. Yep. And that means, you know, bullying's address that they've got some strategies to manage issues that might arise. Um, someone cares about them. And, you know, if we're going to exhaust our, our workforce, you know, people are not as caring when they're exhausted. Mm, so, mm. you know, all of those things um, come into play and, you know, maybe maybe glitter full stop could, um, you know, make people feel a bit more festive in their work and uh, be happier to go there. Because sometimes it's hard slog. Yeah, yeah. I, do you know, we've been quite kind to the whole no budget thing there because a lot of the things we've just mentioned are really just system changes. There's not, apart from like hex and pay more, yeah, yeah, but that that's going to happen with the next DB. Well, let, let's have our fingers crossed that there's going to be a pay rise for that. that okay, but we're not, we're not a, a union podcast. Um, but really, a lot of those things are general, general just the ways that our education department can can re-look at what is in the teaching profession. So, um, yeah, okay. Are we happy to move on? We, we, we've we solved that problem, Angela. Is that a tip? Oh, done, done. Done, okay, good. The next one is just a small issue that I've heard just a couple of times. What about you? You've heard this one just a couple of times, yeah, this issue? Yeah, just occasionally it, it appears in a cla- in sky writing by some plane going okay, over here. Okay, so it is. I-E-S-P. <laughs> the IESP process. Actually, that would be cool. What about if we allocate some SAPA budget to a Skyrider just wrote ISP, generally at the September launch, when they do a new thing, we'll do a September launch with IESP written across the sky. Wouldn't be a waste of money at all. Um, okay, but we, we might have a bit of a, a bit of a confusion and uh, let's let's call it attention just to keep the, keep the, the theme yes. going. What would be your response or answer to an IESP process? I feel there might be dollars involved in this one though. Oh, I think it's dollars. Um, look, you know, SAPA, the group in SAPA, um, Inclusive Ed Committee yep. and the board have been really strategic in this space and mm-hmm. we have taken the attitude if we can't just complain, we've got to identify what might work. So certainly the no-brainer stuff about, you know, um, you know, and actually I want to talk about levels, not categories. I think there's a confusion at present you know, we have categories of disadvantage, then we have categories of ISP, yeah, yeah. levels in ISP. Mm, so mm. the low levels, you know, it began with teacher professional judgment. I think we've got to go back to that. Yep. But I think also that's underpinned by um, teachers having access to training in areas that they might be less certain in. And I'll, I'll think about the role of specialists, you know, I say that teachers are like a GP. They're a general specialist, a general practitioner. But when you have a child who's um, learning needs or behaviour or or something's going on that requires a deeper level, we refer them to a specialist. Mm. And that might be someone in support services. But the intention is to identify the appropriate interventions and treatments. Mm. It shouldn't then require a whole lot of paperwork in order to access that intervention. Mm. Kind of know what's needed. Someone, a specialist worked along and said, this is what it is. You know, whether it is um, hand strengthening exercises to build up, you know, handwriting skills, whether it is um, strategies to help kids manage emotional dysregulation or so on. But I I was reminded of, um, remember Lorna Earle, um, Professor Lorna Earle once saying that the more time we spend on accounting, the less you spend on accountability. So a process that keeps teachers and leaders' time focused on teaching and learning is so critical and not on form filling. And, you know, we develop these templates which might meet the needs of one group 
but actually serve to um, take time away from teaching and learning. It's the wrong process for me. Mm, mm. So I think, you know, whatever it is that people need to do to access the specialist time or support should be the most streamlined, the least, you know, um, demanding of teacher time, but results in the interventional um, treatment that the child needs. It also is... um if, if you talk about that process of something being quite easy, it is easy if if parents are engaged and they've got a better socioeconomic status as well. You know, they've, they've got the ability to pay for the visit to the speech pathologist or the psychologist and so forth as well. So at the moment, we feel, I feel like we've got this um, uh, unleveling between um, parents who can and also their, their, their location as well. You know, we yeah. don't have a lot of um, country uh, psychologists uh, or speech pathologists as well. So if you've got an issue, um, the active parent won't have to worry about waiting for the, the department to fill in all the paperwork, as you mentioned. They just go, I'm just going to go and speak to my doctor and speech pathologist and, and, and the answers are then created. So why is it so long for our education department to do that process? Is that is that what you're talking about, Angela? Well, I think it's it's that and the the idea that, you know, if I can, you know, my teacher professional judgment says this child has mm. difficulty self-soothing, so they have little meltdowns. What they need is, you know, um, a five-week intensive program on blah, then there you go, let's do it, let's yep. do it, short, sharp. Mm. But because I've then got to fill in an application and go through all this process, I, you know, I just think we've we've got to reduce that burden and because it became a burden. And the reliance on um, diagnosis, I think, has had a really unintended outcome. As you've said, that is a disparity between access of families based on economics or geography. But it's also, um, I think, you know, parents are pursuing a diagnosis even when the school might be able to manage whatever it is, right? I'm trying to make this sound simple, but this pursuit of diagnosis by so many families concerns me because I believe it sets them up for an expectation that because my child's been diagnosed with mm, blah, mm, they mm. will now get X. Yeah, yeah. The, the teacher says, actually, this is the behaviour we want to work on. It's not about the diagnosis necessarily. Mm, mm. It's the child is having difficulty with this. This is what we want to do. Mm. So I think there's some tensions in all of this. Um, and, a, and a colleague yesterday was saying to me that, you know, the whole NC, NCCD stuff along with NDIS has just made our jobs more tricky. Yeah, yeah, completely. And and the idea of N, N was it N. NCCD data. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Correct. Um, the idea of that, I'm, I'm, just, I'm still not sure of the purpose of that and how we get funding based on that that data collection. We've been doing it for what four or five years now. So, yeah. um, well, anyway. it goes to the fe the federal government, who then give money back to the state. Okay. And so the department gets money based on it, and then they decide how it's developed. So you know, it would fund sections of the department who. Uh, you know, looking at specialist support, you know, support services, it's money into ISP. I can't, I don't know the exact breakdown, but I have asked the question. Mm. Um, whereas some states, um, schools get more of that percentage of money than others. Mm, mm. Okay, well, I'm 
my my answer to this very simple issue is very similar to yours, Angela. But I I'm I'm looking at dollars. I spend it straight away. So I've got a simple answer, and that is we currently get a student with disability grant, triple it, triple it. So then principals then have got the freedom to allocate for those short-term interventions. Exactly what you said before, if a, if a teacher has a professional judgment call and need an intervention, we need to have the money to be able to do so. So the, the, the students that access our IESP grant is far greater than the grant we actually get. So therefore, we need a triple it, if not quadruple it because that will provide principals and schools greater freedom. And, you know, if there has to be a... Um, an acquittal process to ensure that money's spent on kids, then then I'd be happy to do that because I'd have the freedom not to worry about doing all the rocks and razzes and all that sort of rubbish. That That's yeah. my first answer. What do you think of that one? Yeah, I, I, look, I think the money um, and then I think I would like people to access professional development because I, I do think that there are teachers that uh, sometimes operating out of well out of their expertise. Agreed. Know, we know that. Which is which is my third dot point, Angela. So thank right. thanks for the segue. But I'll, so I'll jump to my third dot point. That was the first one before. The third one is we want to see a variety of ways that we can use our student with disability funding. So there's not a one size fit all, but almost like a menu. I don't want to dumb it down, but a menu opportunity of this is what our what children present. This could be a way that it could be used. And last, uh, I think two episodes ago, I spoke to um, Marg Clark around her, the way that she uses a nurture model. What a great way to, to share that with with people across the state. You know, it is a successful model. It is an expensive model. But if people knew about it and could budget for it, then why wouldn't they do it if it's going to be successful? We don't want money without the answer, which is what you just said then. My, well, and can, yeah, I, go. can I add Puzzy Salberg, you know, he was really clear that it's not about the resource, it's the quality of the resource. Yeah, spot on. And so, you know, you're, what you're talking about is evidence-informed quality programs mm. um, and understanding why Margs is successful means we understand the training that the staff have had, the deliberate setting up of the environment. These things are not, not ad hoc. And so I really like that idea mm, of mm. The money and the and the programs that are working being shared and you know promoted around our our system. Yeah, yeah, and and my last one, which which comes back to the assessment, which I know shouldn't be the the main driver, but these are specialists, psych, speech pathologist, hearing, um, OTs. They are all this the specialists that we sometimes need. Just pay them more, twenty five percent more than SA Health, and the reason being is. That way, there'd never be a shortage or a waiting list or the waiting list would be small. But then they're in schools doing that assessment and, and no, not assessment, the assistance in classes because the, the, the wait lists are down. So just pay them more. Now, I know that this is an expensive idea, but I figure 25% more, they, 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 leave, they leave SA Health, which are also screaming for it as well. They come to education system and... I've spoken to speech pathologists. I'll, I'll use a speech pathologist example, but I've spoken to them. They don't like doing tests all the time. They don't. They actually like doing the professional learning. So imagine, imagine having a staff meeting where you'd have a speech pathologist talking with teachers around uh, strategies in the class because they've got the time to do so. Adam, you know the um, 
SAPA Inclusive Ed Committee recommended that last year that it was a 70-30 split, I think we said, or, mm. you know, two-thirds assessments but one-third coaching mm. professional development because mm. we acknowledge that could be pretty dry doing that, mm. particularly if you got in the job to actually work with children. Mm. Um, and, and even, you know, we're not always thinking about, you know, the assessment's one thing, but it's then supporting the teacher or SSI to implement the necessary program mm. to achieve that the goal we've set for the child. Mm, mm. This should always be about is the child better off as a result of this work um, and is the teacher better off as a result? It's, it's kind of what you're saying as well around, you know, using the money to to meet the needs of everyone in this in this big intervention space but imagine if it, also the other thing i was thinking of is if they're paid more then then they're seen quicker and it, it, it could this is my naivety but just run with me angela um they it could alleviate the health system in the private sector because they're they're going to their school for assistance they're going to their school to get that education and and that diagnosis because we've got enough of them and they all want to come and work for education so anyway we're like here i am spending millions but there's my my three three dot points there. You, what, what what do you think, Angela? Have I have I got a got a chance? I uh, absolutely look. If uh, you and I are in charge, you know, obviously we would uh, allocate funding somewhere, but we'd have to cut it from somewhere else. Yeah, I know, I know. That's the, the sad thing. We're not we're not here to talk about that podcast. <laughs> that, no. the, the cutting of funding. That's another podcast. In fact, we may not even get to that one. Yeah, okay, fair oh, we, we happen to move on. We've just solved that that issue. Sure. So the the next one is poor facilities. Now. Um, this isn't for every school, but it is for a lot of schools. Would you say, Angela, you, you speak to principals, is it, is it for a lot of yeah, schools? Yeah, and I visit schools and I can be genuinely perplexed about um, the state of play in some and then so impressed with um, the community support for some schools, um, mm. you know, like the volunteer work and the working bees that do wonderful things in the grounds. But the facilities in general, there is a there is a difference, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm going to go first on this one, Andrew, and then you can jump in afterwards. So right. I've got I've got once again three dot points on how I can solve how we can solve the poor facilities, and it's going to cost a lot of money as well. But hey, mm-hmm. listen, it's not mine, so might as well jump on it. Julia Gillard did something a few years ago. It was a, probably a little bit. It was a long time ago now. That was would have been. 15 years ago, I think. There was the Building Education Revolution. Oh, Kevin, Kevin Rudd, yes. Oh, Kevin Rudd, yes, sorry. Kevin Rudd it was. Um, the Burr funding for facilities. Yep. I think that, that that needs to happen full stop. That, that That's a very quick injection with greater co-planning. I think back then we were given just a few designs and they're all getting around now, the libraries and the, the gyms and so forth, but it, it gave everyone that that immediate leg up, which I think I think needs to occur. That's the first thing, but that that's Can I billions. Just, mate, tell you something, Adam. Yeah, go. That was the direct result of APA's president, Leonie Trimper, who was a South Australian principal. Yeah, right. She had lobbied the government, and it was her work that led to that happening. So you know, whoo-hoo, there's one for primary school. Nice one, nice one. Well, we just need that to happen again. The, the 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 next dot point I've got is I, I want to see and I know this this actually is represented from the SAPA board and that is we want to see a Department for Education long term plan for facilities something that goes over just one term or or even just a, a cycle of um of of election we want it to be something that where where we can go these schools are going to receive this amount of funding over this period of time and then schools can plan for that. 
So for example, if I know that I'm going to get an injection of, let's say a million dollars in three years time, then that could be something that as a school, we decide to go, oh, let's see if we can put some money aside or even look at creating a loan or sell more cupcakes through volunteering, whatever it's going to be, to add another million to that. So then we can get something that really fits our need. That that I think would be a really transparent way of where, one, where the money's going and two, a good opportunity for principals to plan. Because I, I feel that there's some schools especially secondary schools, that receive a lot of funding and that money could go across the state. What do you think about that one, Angela? Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, I, again, SAPA has been asking that the department provides their definition or their value proposition around what is a contemporary learning environment because mm. anyone who has a big building project, they're involved in these conversations. But, you know, it leaves leaders or, or builders to interpret this. And, you know, so I'm from a building, long-term building construction family. I've got a brother who's an engineer and he always says to me, Angela, form over function. Like, is it fit for purpose? Mm. And I think in schools we've always got to be answering that, which mm. means my school might need to be different from someone else's. Mm. You know, we want them safe and attractive we know that we work and learn better or more productively in environments that look good and are cared for. Mm. So um, I think we've got to be setting a bottom, a baseline, like what's the minimum that we think every school should have? And then we can have the discussion about, so, you know, why do you get that? Now, if you're in a heritage school like, you know, Adelaide High School was, yeah. and of course you want to have a building that's sympathetic to that, you yeah. know, I, I don't have an issue. But unless we can talk with with credibility, with evidence about what is a contemporary learning environment, be it light, be it ventilation in these times of COVID, you know, do, should we have fly screens on if I'm at Port Wakeford Primary and next to the mangroves, you know, that was an issue they had in mm, COVID. Mm. Um, you know, I can have an architect who puts in wonderful round windows, but when a footy goes through them, it's really expensive to replace. Mm, you know, mm. what are the conversations we need to have and how might... Um, an informed, um, you know, an education system think about the use of space. Mm. And there are examples in New Zealand. There's examples in a, um, I can't think of the school in Victoria that worked with some really high-end designers. Julia Atkins, Stephen Heppel are all really clear about how spaces should be. You know, if I have kids that have difficulty regulating, they should have a quiet space. Mm. But I can't do that in, a, in an egg crate classroom, yeah. you know, building. So I think this is a really important piece of work. And I'd like to propose that all funding stops until we sort this out. Mm. Yeah. And like you said, Adam, map it. Have a look at, you know, what's in my five-year plan? What am I getting? Um, and is it okay that freight means that I get corrugated iron when you get sandstone. Mm, yeah, exactly yeah, and I right. think we need to have these conversations about why we make the decisions, at least be honest about it. Mm, mm. I, um, I, I also I, I remember when you're talking about those, those funny situations with fly screens and so forth, when the Burr funding came out, um, I was in Piri at the time, and it's quite hot in Port Piri as well, and the, the, when the air conditioners turned on, the windows opened, so um, it de defeated the purpose of, uh, of of doing it. So it was it was a clever model for for an, uh, schools with better climate, and and they weren't really fit for purpose all the time. Um, my my last dot point here is 
I think that there, there could be some creativity for governing councils and leaders that have that vision that could be backed by the department with a 50%. So the, the, this is my, this is my um, submission, and that would be that if schools could save and put some money aside and spend some of their larger SASIF, if they have got larger SASIF, and the department can go, right, we'll match it. Whatever you put forward will match. And then it is fit for purpose. It is that ownership by the community. <clears throat> Excuse me. It is, you know, then 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 schools are, are, are invested in this in this building that they've helped pay for. But the just the just the thought of going, I've got just over three hundred kids, just the thought of going, oh, Right, I'm gonna to have to save up two million dollars. It's just not gonna happen in in the time I'm going to be here. So, yeah, that that's my other mini mini proposal there as well. Have you got any other answers for poor facilities at all, Angela? Oh, I I think you know where you do have expertise in your community, and like you've said, if they can be engaged in the design, you know, cost cutting is is possible. I've preferred to do a lot of my site funded works. Mm. because, you know, you can have strong community links, save money. Um, and I know the previous minister, I had met with him about some of the barriers that were put in for schools to pursue site-funded works, and he was really clear that that seemed to be a good use of, of communities' money. You know, if they were happy to save for it, invest in it, um, do small projects, felt the ownership, you know, absolutely go for it. And we do have some SAPA leaders who have very effectively managed a whole lot of quite impressive site-funded works. Um, interestingly, I also discovered, though, that if I was a private school and I borrowed money from the government for a building program, I paid no interest. But if I was a public school and borrowed money, I paid interest. What an irony that was. I've got, I've, I've done that process um, at, at my site and it, I think it's a 2%. I probably should know that, but it's around 2%. It's great because I linked my home loan to it. It was amazing. No, I didn't for all um, <laughs> regulatory purposes. I did not link my, it was that, funny. That though. seems better. I had to do kidneys for fun. And oh. That's how I funded mine, so okay. there you go. Um, I, also, like, we, I don't want to put, like, make this a small issue. Like, poor facilities is a big issue for principals. You know, the, if it's a, a, a leaky tap um, to air conditioners not working, because what it does is teachers then focus on that rather than focus on curriculum. And yes. and it's just a matter, I don't know, we, we could add up the percentage of time and worry that each principal would have. And I feel that facilities would be far greater than what people would like, especially parents. Yeah, you know, I absolutely agree, Adam. And I, you know, it's why I made that point that when we're in an environment that looks and feels good, we feel valued mm. and cared for. Mm. Um, I think we see that in the health system. We see it in why, you know, businesses have lovely waiting areas. You know, that first impressions is really important. You know, if I've got carpet that always looks, you know, ugly or messy, um, you know, it can't be cleaned, you know, all my walls, you know, there's the, all the sticky tape marks are there, et cetera, my pin boards are wobbly. Yuck. Yeah. And some yeah. of those are kind of low-cost um, things. And if you've got a really good facilities person, like a, a grounds person, you can do it. But a lot of primary school don't have full-time staff for that. No, no. Um, you know, I've known principals who've spent weekends or I think painting classrooms and you mm. go, I understand you've done it because people will feel better, but seriously, how did we get to that where, you know, the most highly paid person in the school mm. is the one painting the classrooms? Mm -hmm. um, 
we, we've got time for – we've got five more minutes, Angela. Do, do, first of all, do you think facilities, we, we've potentially got some ideas? I don't think we've solved that, we, that issue, but have we got any idea? Have we got anything else to add to the facilities section? No, uh, no, I think we're done there. Okay, all right. Well, we've got five minutes. Let, let's pick. The, there, the, there's three choices. Let, let's do one of the three choices, and the three choices are red tape for principals, mental health for staff and students, or crowded curriculum. Angela, you can pick. We, which one are we going to solve? And then, let's do red tape. Red tape. Because then I just think we can hold podcasts. on to that for, for, for next time. Yeah, like ne- yeah. next time people go, oh, well, we might tune back in again next time when Angela tells us how we can solve mental health and crowded <laughs> curriculum. So that would be great. So, uh, Angela, you get you get to go first in this one. Red tape for principals. What are we yeah. going to do? So, you know, I, I think it's one, what, how long is a piece of string? Mm. So or the tape. How long is the piece of tape? Sorry, that was terrible dad joke. Carry <laughs> on. Good. But, you know, what is it to me as a principal, you know, things like annual report, they, mm. that is a data requirement to the federal government. Why do I have to pat it out with words, right, move it on? Applications for ISP, complicated playgrounds audits, NQS, all of these things are problematic. But I thought that, you know, if we're skilled at having um, the reflection in our own site, like conducting an internal review in your own site about how processes are experienced, you know, working with staff around flow charting the processes and decision-making, you know, are there white things we could cut out in this? Because when we can do that at our own level, it builds our skills in understanding what can be improved. And I know the sapper chat's often used by people for that, like, mm. you know, who talking to me about this process, which tells me that they're thinking maybe theirs could be better. Mm. Um, you know, it, the way we've always done things cannot be what we do. And as you've said alluded to earlier, Adam, we keep having things added. Mm. So if we can't take stuff off at the same time, we will be overwhelmed. So I, I think a really big one is role clarity for, for everybody. And that's whether, you know, it's for principals or um, business managers or teachers to reduce the shopping around for answers. What I've, I see in schools is when you don't know, like you go to Adam and then you go to Fred and then you go to Mary, whereas actually Adam you know, it should have said, but I'm not the person you're asking. You know it's Mary. You need to go to them first. Mm. And sometimes the shopping around or the processes are convoluted because actually we can't say no. Mm. Mm. We we don't want to, you know, say some, I'll take special leave as an example that, that emerges, um, you know, people will contact me about that. that. There's such ambiguity and you go, is there? Mm. Or if it is the principal's right to make a decision, then they can make the decision done. You know, mm. let's not waste time going over and over this. The special leave policy is quite large and there generally you can find something in there that, that would fit. So I don't know. I, 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 I personally don't have too much of an issue and feel confident with that. And I think people do have to feel confident with the decision that they make. I That's agree. Right. And someone asked me yesterday, well, what, why do you think people aren't confident? And maybe because they don't know that their their, um, their decision will be upheld. Yeah. You know, they're worried that someone will be, and, and that actually has happened. Mm, mm, so mm. knowing your stuff, I always say know your stuff, know whom you're stuffing and stuffing and stuff them elegantly is the secret to leadership. And that Love was it. a quote by Lola May, so I can't <laughs> claim it as my own, but it is my mantra. Yeah. Um, so, you know, having really clear policies um, that are short and sharp, having fact sheets available to guide people in mm. decision-making mm. and for us to hold the line. Uh, I mm. think the red tape, practice it in your site and then work with 
you know, SAPA and the SAPA board to give examples to the system about how we can save them time and money because that's what this is about. Time is money. I think we've learnt a little bit from COVID. I mean, those those one-page templates that are provided Ooh. from COVID, you know, where, where, how do you get leave for this and what happens if this kid's positive and, you know, what do you do next? You know, as yes. we, I've been looking at it on a daily basis, unfortunately, but it is a one pager and it's really easy to follow and i think that we could we could l- use that in other contexts as well so for example erms vsp hrs my goodness like and and I, i've you know i'm been doing this for about 8 years now but when i was first doing it, i really had no idea what was going on and i think there are principles that that generally find that really challenging i find it challenging after 8 years it is a, just a long convoluted process I want to find out a teacher's, someone's going to email me afterwards and say, it's easy, Adam. But I, I want to find out a teacher's leave, how much they had left. It took me forever. And uh, and and I know I had to go on a certain area. I just could not find it. So um, anyway, that that's part of the red tape, I think, is a bit, bit, well, bit frustrating. It, maybe that's, is it a red tape or a red runway? You know, I think we've, there's a number, it's, it's like the helix, this double helix. Yeah. We just go round and round. And I know at the moment, EdSAS fact sheets are no longer uh, on the intranet. Mm. Um, I did find them once okay. uh, a couple of weeks ago. And then when I went back, I couldn't find them again. But it did take me to a website, web page, which says this page is no longer available. Okay. Well, that's because it's EdSAS. And you probably have to do that ready load run just to get on it, like the Commodore 64 back yes, in the day. Yes. And so we've got leaders who spend huge amounts of time trying to find something and end up calling a colleague who talks them through it. And That's I go, right. is that the best we can do? Yeah, well, well, strength in SAPA, though, that we do yes. have colleagues that can do that. And I, I, we don't we don't want to, to, to put that away. It is a very important part of SAPA, and that is, you know, there are some people that are, that are, are, are regular contributors to SAPA Talk and we thank them as well and we know that there might be some people out there that we can go to certain areas which is which is great is it their job mm, no is it the benefit of the association most definitely I've got one dot point for this one because I really struggled with this one Angela so you've given me way more I remember a few years ago where SAPA lobbied to have the additional point one salary I always yeah. go to the money side of things and I apologize for that <laughs> but um that point one salary was it ten grand, eleven grand? Make it point five as a starting point. That way, then we've got a, a we can employ a business manager at least half half the time, if not longer, to understand and use um, all these processes and fact sheets to to try and make sense of it as well. So, um, yeah, I'm, I still go down the funding line. Whereas you're uh, more of a solution based. I'm just give me more money, which is probably not no, the way of no. doing it. But I think yours is a solution because it means that my time, like, you know, as a principal, my time can go to the coaching, the development, the engagement. Correct, yeah. And not to the playground order yeah, or to, right. you know, the star or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and go back, you know, it's that job clarity. What is my job? And mm. am, therefore, am I the best person to do this? And this, again, was Jim Waterston's point. We can defend any action we take. Mm. I, I can defend my right, you know, my need to be putting the crossing signs out. I can do all of that because, you know, I'm caring, I'm nurturing. But actually, is that the best use of my time? And that was his provocation at the conference. And it was a little unsettling because you realise, well, actually, I do spend time on stuff that doesn't make a difference to that. 
but actually if it gives me a bit of joy. I was going to say that. Yeah, we might do it because we're good at it as well. But we are, I think we said prior to the podcast, we're our worst enemy sometimes because we do the stuff that has minimal impact, but... um, but you know we enjoy it. In in saying that, my my groundsman today let me know that um he's he's got COVID for a week. So I'm going to enjoy possibly jumping on a ride on mower for the afternoon around the schoolyard. Like there you go, see there. I'm going to enjoy that. I'm sorry, but it's just fun. But uh, anyway, I'll I'll, Look, I'll I'll share a story with you. Go. A previous ED um mm. was new to my site, and one of the things I love to do is I will go weeding or planting if I've had a stressful day. Yep. So, you know, I'd be out in the yard. He also could get to see the runaway kids yeah. more easily. Yep. But this ED said to me, Angela, what? Because I had a pitchfork and a shovel in my office of spade. And he said to me, why do you have those in your office? And I said, oh, well, what do you do with your bodies? <laughs> and he looked shocked at me and I went, oh, no, I don't have that relationship with him yet. And I said, oh, no, no, it's just a little bit of stress relief that I go and, yeah, oh, and I do remember oh, that's funny. Oh, that was so funny, whereas no one else made a single comment. They just knew that yeah, it, was, it yeah. might come in handy. Yes. Mm-hmm. In some of those, sometimes those, those awkward looks back at you when you, when you know you're joking, they, they are the best times because you go, yes, I got that one. Anyway, speaking of getting that one, we are done. 44 and a half minutes. Well Ooh. done. Thanks, Angela. We said 45, didn't we? So that's very good timing. Thanks for joining me again, Angela. I definitely have to have, to have you back. We've got a couple of big things to, to tick off, mental health for staff and students and create a curriculum. What are some more? What are what are people want? Because I've had a few emails of people suggesting certain things. What would be something that they would like us to talk about next, in terms of solving a problem for, for um, the department and and obviously South Australian education? Um, we're still getting lots of listens, which is great. We're still up around the hundred mark, Angela, which I'm very surprised with, which is great. So. Um, please put a like um, and tick or do whatever you need to on your podcast machine to tell us that we're, we're doing a good job. Thanks for your time, Angela. Did you enjoy it? Oh, it's always a pleasure, Adam. It's wonderful. Thank <laughs> Thanks. You. All right. You take, take care. See you later, everyone. Bye.